Okay, if you have a Bible. Oh, by the way, I just want to let you know. Uh, you know, you may have seen um, God's timing and His direction is so perfect. You may have seen uh, on the news this week that in Pakistan, uh, some two boys were accused of writing in the Quran. And so, in response, the, uh, the surrounding Muslim community stirred some, some troublemakers stirred the people. And 16 churches were burned down, and 360 homes were destroyed. So, the offering today, you want to know, we always want to be transparent about it, is going to go there. But what's more, what's more profound is of all the places that I could have picked to do my next crusade, guess where it is? Jaranwala City, that very place. So God's opened a door in some September, I think, uh, I don't know, around the 25th, I think we're going. And uh, we're going to take a team over there and preach Christ and the hope of Christ into that whole community. And I believe, you know, God, there's nothing just happens. God is positioning everything for us. It's an extraordinary season in God. And uh, yeah, I just want you to get excited. Also, just to let you know... Uh, <laughs> you know, God's ways are not our ways, that's what I'll say. We have also purchased land in Uganda. Uh, we, <laughs> we have previously we've purchased land in India and built a big church over there. We have purchased land in Pakistan and built a massive church over there. And now I feel God is wanting us to establish a base in Uganda with this tremendous man of God, David Biangi. We're going to be in partnership with him. And I believe there's going to be a base to evangelize all of East Africa. And also, he's going to turn it into a 24-7 prayer center. So when we get there, people have been praying 24-7. I want to tell you, Ugandans love to pray. They will walk three days to pray for a day. It's incredible that they love to pray. So that's what's going to happen. I just... Very excited about what God's doing in the nation. So. And this nation, believe me. When I came back, I don't know if, you, if I'll let everyone know this, but the day I came back on the Sunday, on the Wednesday, I was invited to go down and preach and prophesy over this Parramatta Stadium. This group down there are believing for revival in Sydney. And they, God gave them my name to go down and preach and to prophesy over and believe that we'd have meetings in that stadium. So God's on the move in this nation. He is on the move in this nation. And uh, yeah, we're, we're going to pray. I am going to speak today uh, from the Word of God, as we always do. So Father, um, I just thank you, Lord. This is not something that I want to say to people today. But Father God, we're about to hear what you want to say. And I thank you that your Word is life-changing. I thank you that your Word brings healing. Father, I thank you that the entrance of your Word brings light dispels all darkness. And Father God, I ask that as I preach this word today, that your word will go forth. What you want to say into our specific circumstances today, that there'll be a word of hope for everyone here who needs it. There'll be a word that they can grab onto, a word that sustains them through any trial or dry season. Father, your word does all those things. So send forth your word. In the power of your spirit, in Jesus' name. 
Open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 37, and I'm just going to read a few verses here today. I want to speak to the dreamers here. You know, the Bible says, the end days, the end times which we're living in, after the Spirit is poured out, and the begin, Spirit began to be poured out at Pentecost, that when the Spirit is poured out, old men will dream dreams, and young men will have visions. And I want to speak about dreams and dreamers today. Now, Joseph had a dream, and he told it to his brothers, and they hated him even more. So he said to them, please hear this dream which I have dreamed. There we were, binding sheaves in the field. Then, behold, my sheaf arose and also stood upright, and indeed your sheaves stood all around and bowed down to my sheaf. And his brothers said to him, shall you indeed reign over us, or shall you indeed have dominion over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. Then he dreamed still another dream and told it to his brothers and said, Look, I've dreamed another dream. This time the sun, the moon, and the eleven stars bowed down to me. So he told it to his fathers and his brother. And his father rebuked him and said to him, What is this dream that you've dreamed? Shall your mother and I and your brothers indeed come and bow down to, to the earth before you? And his brothers envied him. But his father kept the matter in mind. I, I want to tell you, uh, it is so powerful to possess a dream from God. A dream from God is a word from God. It is a promise from God, but it's your promise that He makes to you. And, you know, we, we, we know, a lot of us know the story of Joseph, that he, after he had this dream, his brothers persecuted him. They put him in a pit, and they sold him to a man called Potiphar. Then ended up in prison. And... The Bible says Joseph had a dream, but when you have this type of dream, it's more accurate to say, not that Joseph had a dream, but the dream had Joseph. He had this dream so powerfully in his spirit, what God was going to do in his life, that it sustained him. That's what a dream of God can do. It sustained him when he was in the pit, when he was in the hard time, when he was in Potiphar's house, when he was in prison. This dream that God had put in his heart, that he knew was from heaven, it sustained him. When he was tempted by Potiphar's wife, it was this dream that kept him. That's how powerful it is to possess a dream or a promise from God. And I believe God wants to put a dream into people's hearts today. And he wants to encourage people that already possess a dream. And, uh, you know, you, you may, when I say a promise, you may even possess a promise or a dream, but God has promised you He's going to do something in, you know, maybe bring a child who's walked away from God back or restore a marriage or heal something that's been ongoing in your life or fix your business or do something that God has actually made you a promise because God does. He speaks generally through His Word. There's many promises He makes in His Word to fight for us, to guide us, and to love us, all these promises, but he also makes specific, tailor-made promises for your life. And see, he did this with Joseph. He said, this is the promise. You are going to be someone substantial. You're going to be a leader, and people are going to come and bow down to you. And in the end, the appointed time God fulfilled this promise, Joseph became prime minister of Egypt, and everybody came and bowed. And so he was a powerful man, because God fulfills every promise. He's not a man that he can lie. And so here, 
Joseph has this dream. Abraham had a similar dream. God came out and said to Abraham, though you're barren, look at the stars. That's how many children, that's how many heirs you're going to have. And you know today, even though he had a barren wife, Abraham is the father of Israel. So every Israelite comes from Abraham. But God did it by making him a promise. And you see, King David was made a promise when he was anointed to be king. God promised him that even though he wasn't king, he would become king. Simeon, a man who was waiting for the Messiah, God made him a promise that he, even though he was old, that he would not die until he saw the Messiah and held the Messiah in his hand. So God makes promises and he gives dreams and he gives visions. He speaks to people because he's a living God. And I want to speak to people who have a promise, possess a promise today. I don't know if you've ever seen the film. I love baseball movies. I love The Natural. I love Moneyball. My kids will tell you I've watched it four million times. It's no exaggeration. (laughs) Uh, But there's a film that I I like many years ago. It's called Field of Dreams. And some of you may have heard it. But it's a a baseball film. It's about, he's got Kevin Costner. It's a bit corny. But he lives in this uh, this cornfield in Paddock in, in Iowa. And he has a dream. And he has a dream, and this dream grips him, that he ought to build this baseball stadium in a cornfield. And he shares his dream like Joseph did. Be careful who you share your dream with. When God gives you a dream, only share it with believing people. Be careful, because they can steal your dream. They can become jealous of your dream like Joseph's brother's. So uh, this guy has a, a, this dream, and, and he, he has a dream that he's going to build this baseball field, and crowds are going to come, like thousands of people are going to come and watch these great baseball players play in his cornfield. Now, in those days, there, there wasn't the amount of teams. There was only a few teams, and they only played in cities. So when he shared his dream, everyone said it's, it's, it's ludicrous, and they mocked him for his dream. But he knew this was real. And so he shared it, and uh, he shared it with this guy in the film. I, I forget his character, but he's called Earl Jones. And, and he just encourages him. He says, I know it sounds crazy, but go ahead to do it. And, and he begins to build this baseball stadium, this baseball field. And everyone's mocking him while he's building it. And he's facing financial ruin at one time as he builds this stadium and he's facing the prospect of losing his farm but in the film there's a famous line the the film is famous for this line who knows what the line is build it and they will come you know this this is a great faith statement he has to build it in faith believing the people will come And it doesn't say, when they start to come, then start to build. It says, build it and they will come. Because this is how faith works. It's not when they come, when you start seeing them building. It says, build it by faith. Build in faith, believing they will come. And you know, there are so many field of dreams people in the Scriptures. The most obvious is Noah. He spends, you know, anywhere between 50 and 100 years building, building what God told him to do, building by faith, believing, 
at the right time, the animals would come. Every animal from the world had to come into the ark. And at the right time, God made the animals come. Just like in Kevin Costner's movie, at the right time, the people and the players came. And there's so many other things in the Scripture. There's Noah. He had to build it. And the animals come. There's another time where Elisha is leading an army and they've gone through the desert and it's a drought. And God says to them, this is a strategy, dig ditches in a drought. Dig ditches. And as they dug ditches, God made the rain come. And the sun rose and the, 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 the sun reflected off the water. The enemy thought that there was blood and enemies were being killed, so they fled. But they had to dig the ditches by faith for the rain to come. There's other people. There's a, there's a woman in the Scriptures who, who is indebted and thinks she's going to lose her children. And, and, and Elisha says to her, go and get all these jars. Go and get all these jars. And she has to get these jars by faith, believing as she pours out the little bit of oil, God would make the extra oil come. She had to tip it out by faith, believing that the oil would come and keep coming and keep coming and keep coming till all the other jars were filled and the debts were paid off. So many things in Scripture. So many things. There's another, another woman in, in Isaiah 54. She is barren. She can't have children. And the Word of God comes to her and says, stretch out your tent. Do not spare. Expand to the left and expand to the right. Because God is going to make that barren womb become fertile. And so, that's how faith works. You've got to build it. Believing. You've got to possess your promise. Believing that God is going to make what is needed come to you. Maybe it's healing you need come to you. You're believing for it. Maybe it's your business you need provision, customers to come to you. You build it, but you've got to build it by faith, believing those customers are going to come. And I believe there's a word for someone to hear. God says those customers, God is going to make them come like he made the animals come into the ark. Or maybe you're, you're ill and you're standing on the word of some promise. You've got to stand on that Bible, believing that your healing is going to come. Or you're believing for a child to come back. Like the prodigal father, you've got to believe and stand on that word that you will see God make that child come back. You build it and they will come. Maybe you've just got a marriage that's a bit damaged. And you've got to keep building, keep speaking the word, keep being godly. Believing that the restoration will come. That's how God works. And I, I, so powerful to possess a dream, so powerful to possess a promise. But the hardest part when you possess a dream or the hardest part of any dream or any promise of God is what I would call the holding pattern. It's the holding pattern. Because you see, if, if I was to make you a promise, I'd probably make you a promise and fulfill it next week. Or in two weeks. But the scripture says, God's ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. They're so much higher than our ways. He doesn't do things like we do. He is way, way more, he has made way more wisdom. He is different. He is God Almighty. 
He is holy. He is totally different to man. And he, one part of humility is knowing and trusting that his ways are higher. You think about this. God makes a promise to Noah. When do you think it's going to be fulfilled? He builds the ark. Some people would say it's between 40 and 120 years he labors before the rain comes and God brings the animals. He builds it for maybe 100 years before they come, before he sees what God promises to be fulfilled. And you see this pattern all the way through Scripture. Joseph has a dream. How long does he spend in a pit and in prison before he sees the fulfillment of that dream? 15 years, people estimate. David, the same thing. He's anointed king. He's anointed king, and then he spends years in a cave. And it's, it's 13 years. He's anointed at, 30, at 17. He becomes king at 30. Because God's ways are not our ways. You know, Abraham, just think about this. Abraham, God shows him. This is what I'm going to do. You've got a barren wife, but I've told you I'm going to make you a great nation. And so he has that promise. And it is 25 years before Isaac is born. And all that time, he's got to hold on. He's got to hold on to his promise defending his field of dreams. That's what faith is. It's holding on to that promise, defending that field of dreams that God has given you. And he didn't give up. He didn't quit on God, and God did it. It's not easy because David says at one time in Psalm 13 verse 1, you know, while he's waiting and he's, God's made him this promise, he knows he's got it, and he's going to be king, but he spends a season in a cave where Saul is trying to pursue him, and he's, he's living the very opposite life to what God promised. And he says in Psalm 13, verse 1, How long, how long will you forget me forever? I feel there's some people thinking that today, that God's forgotten you. God has forgotten you, but God has not forgotten you. His timing is perfect, but you have to wait. If you're not willing to wait, it's like, it's like I remember my kids, you know, when they, were, when they were young and they'd want something and, you know, we'd often answer with not now, you know, and then they'd, you could just see the anger and the frustration and then if you really didn't answer, they become hopeless and, uh, Certain ones of them would then get into the area of emotional outbursts without giving away anything. But you see, God doesn't want that. He wants you, us to be able to live in peace while we wait. And you know the word dis-ease. Dis-ease means we don't have God's peace. And in the waiting, when we become angry and frustrated and despondent, we get into a place of dis-ease, which is not God's place for us. And, you know, I think we live in a world where, you know, the, the technology that we, we experience is, is always promising to make things easier and faster. And we live in the world where we think that's how God works. But God says to you, that's not how I work. There is nothing better than waiting. Even God, when I think about it, the prodigal son, he is the father. And his son walks away from him. And his son walks away from him because 
he has no idea that what he really desires is actually always, all along, it's in the father's house. But this son, you know, the story goes, son gets into a mess and he, he goes lower and lower and he's, he goes darker and darker and he's actually spending the, the livelihood of the father, the living of the father. So he's spending the father's living, what the father lived to give him. And he's not spending it with godly people. He's spending it with rotten people that just use him and abuse him and doesn't know it. And he goes lower and lower and lower. And you would think, this is, the, the, the parable is about the father. It's about God. And you would think God would just go and fix the child because God is the father. But even God in the parable has to wait. He doesn't know what's going to happen to the son. He doesn't know who the son's getting involved. He doesn't know what the son's taking, what the son's drinking, how low the son's going, whether the son's going to even come back at all. The father has to wait. So if God has to wait, there's nothing wrong with waiting. So we need to understand there is a waiting time there is a waiting time between promise and fulfillment. There is a holding pattern God deliberately initiates after He makes you a promise. And when we're often waiting, who's ever had this experience? I'm actually in a season now in my life where I'm waiting on God to do something and it's not happening. It's not happening. And you think when you're waiting on God, sometimes you can feel God has forgotten you or it's not, nothing's happening. I'm waiting on God, but nothing's happening. I tell you, I promise you, something is happening when nothing is happening. Something is happening when nothing is happening. First, something is happening in you. While you wait, something precious is happening in you. You know, when it, says, when it says so many times in the Scripture, the, you know, David learns at the end, and in so many Psalms, he says, wait on God. I waited patiently for because he, he learned the importance of what God does in the waiting. You know what it is to wait on God? This is, this is what it is to wait on God. When God has given you a promise, firstly, you're waiting. It looks like nothing is happening. It feels like nothing is happening. In that time, you must be determined not to run ahead of God. Because if you get ahead of God like Abraham did, he created an Ishmael. And an Ishmael was a problem in his life. When you run ahead of God, when you're supposed to be waiting, and this, you, it, you'll create an Ishmael. The second thing you do when you're waiting, you think nothing's happening, God's not answering, He's not answering my prayers, you, is you, you mustn't bail on God. You mustn't run out on God, give up on God, walk away from God. What you must do, you don't run ahead of God, you don't bail on God, you stay in your place. You just stay with your promise. That's what faith looks like. You just stay. And as you stay in your place, you must not be impetuous, not be despairing, just stay waiting on God. What God is doing in you, what is happening when it looks like nothing is happening? God is producing humility in you, and God is birthing real trust in you. Trust 
that this God who made you a promise, He is loving and He is powerful. He is loving and He is powerful. Some people only know God as loving and some people only know God as powerful. But we need to have that revelation and it comes in the waiting that God is both loving and powerful. And 2 Corinthians 9, 8 says, He has all grace to abound to me that in all ways, in all things, I have an abundance for every good work. That means that you are never at the mercy of your circumstances. Never. But God, as you wait, will help you now. Strengthen you in the waiting and bring the blessing later. That's what you learn when you wait. Who God is. He is loving and He is powerful and He will help you in the waiting and He will bring the blessing later. So, when it feels like nothing's happening, God is doing something inwardly. He is producing humility and He's producing trust. But He's also working outwardly. When it feels like nothing's happening, something is happening outwardly as well. God is putting things in place in your life for when He performs a promise because they need to be there. You know, the greatest promises in the Scripture, the greatest promises made were to prophets about the Messiah because nobody is greater than Jesus. And all these, you know, the bigger the promise, the greater the promise you carry, the bigger the weight. When they made a promise, the prophets were promising, Messiah will come. He will suffer, but he will save. The Messiah, Jesus Christ, will come. All these prophets made these prophecies. They're the minor prophets and the old prophets in the Old Testament. And you know what happened after those promises were made? 400 years where there was not a word from God. 400 years of silence. 400 years waiting for the word. And people say, well, that, in those seasons, that's called the intertestamental period, that God was doing nothing. Wrong! God was doing something when it felt like he was doing nothing. Outwardly, he was doing extraordinary things. In those 400 years, firstly, Alexander the Great, the goat, the greatest of all time, who came and at 30, before he was 30, he conquered the whole known world. And then when he conquered the world, every nation he conquered, it's the first time it ever happened, he introduced the Greek language. So he introduced the Greek language. Everyone partially spoke Greek in all the known world when Alexander the Great was around. Then in that period, the, the Old Testament, previously it was only in Hebrew. But in that period, about 300 years before Christ came, the Old Testament was translated into Greek. So the prophecies that were made could be read by everybody about Messiah. Thirdly, the Socratics. Socrates invented a new method of learning that it wasn't just dictatorial. It was, it was uh, the Socratic method means you can ask questions. So people could become curious about what they were reading. And then fourthly, the Romans came and conquered the Greeks. And after the Romans conquered the Greeks in about 250 BC, there was a, a, an extraordinary, almost an unprecedented season of peace. And in that season of peace, you know what the Romans did? 
They built roads. They were big on transport. And they built roads going out from Jerusalem everywhere. And the last thing that happened in that time was that God allowed the Romans to persecute the Jews. And the Jews were dispersed everywhere into the known world. It's called the Diaspora. All this God was doing in the time of waiting. Those five things, they're the why in the waiting. God was, so that when Christ came, when the Messiah came on the scene, it wasn't confusion. Everybody could pick up that book, all those prophecies. They could read it in Greek and say, yes, he is the one. He is the one. And not only that, when the, the command was given, when Christ died and rose again, and he said to the disciples, now take this gospel, this saving, delivering, healing gospel, take it into all the world. The roads were built. The transport system was there to take, to carry the gospel. The practical things, the outward things had been put in place in the waiting. And when they took the gospel into the world, there were Jews everywhere to receive them. Into the synagogues. They had places to take the gospel where they first preached it. Then they went to the Gentiles. So see, what I'm saying is while they were waiting, God was working. And while you're waiting, it feels like God is doing nothing or, or nothing is happening. God is working on you inwardly and he's working outwardly. He's working inwardly on you, so when he performs his promise, when he does what he said he's going to do, your character is ready to, to, to contain that promise. And secondly, he's putting things in place. This is what faith has to do. He's putting things in place outwardly that you are going to need. He is bringing, building those Roman roads that you can't see. He is working. He is working for you in the background, while you are waiting. Someone should give God a praise. Amen. He is working in the waiting. You know, uh, Joseph had his promise. David had his promise. Noah had his promise, build it and they will come. You know, you know, God makes us wait, but we don't wait forever. I want to read you a scripture here. It says in, uh, in Psalm 102 verse 13, Psalm 102 verse 13 here, it speaks about the favor of God, and the appointed time for God's favor. And, you know, when God makes you a promise, there's not only the promise, but there is the time for the promise. I'm, I'm going to read from Habakkuk, Habakkuk, chapter 2. He says this, he says, I'll stand my watch, set myself on the rampart and watch to see what God will say to me, what I'll answer when I'm corrected. There's humility. Then the Lord answered and said to me, write the vision, 
make it plain on tablets. There, that, that tells us something. When God makes your promise or gives you a dream, write it down. Write everything about it down. Because in the dark hours, you'll forget it. So every word and every promise God makes you, write it down. And it said it will, it will make the person run who reads it. That's, that, it'll make your faith work as you read it. But the vision is yet for an appointed time. But at the end, it will speak. It will not lie. Though it tarries, wait for it. Because it will surely come. It will not tarry. Psalm 102, verse 13. You will arise and have mercy on Zion. For the time to favor her, yes, the set time has come. For your servants take pleasure in her stones. Bible says, he sent a man before them, Joseph, who was sold as a slave. They hurt his feet with fetters. They laid his iron. They laid him in iron until the time that his word came to pass. Genesis 18, verse 4, speaks about Abraham. It says, He had the same thing. He had, he had, there was a set time. God made him a promise, but there was a set time for the performance of that promise. In verse 14, is anything too hard for the Lord? This is the angel saying to, 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 to questioning Abraham or Sarah about what God is about to do. The angel says, at the appointed time, I'll return to you according to the time of life, and Sarah shall have a son. So there is a promise God makes to you. There is a time where we are waiting, but God is working. And then there is a time when His work behind the scenes is finished. The appointed time comes, and God is going to bless you beyond measure. David goes from the cave to the kingdom. Joseph doesn't just get out of prison. He goes from the prison to the prime minister. Abraham doesn't just have one son. God blesses the socks off him so much it's called the blessing of Abraham. God is faithful. When the appointed time comes, he performs his promise in a way that blows your mind. And I'm just here today, I'm not really here to say much, except there are people here, you possess a dream, you've been waiting on God, you feel forgotten by God, you think nothing's happening, and God said to come, something is happening when nothing is happening. I am doing a great work in your life. I am preparing your character, and I'm putting things in place behind the scenes that when I perform my promise, it's going to blow your mind. There is an appointed time. And God says to those people who are growing faint, I haven't forgotten you. Strengthen the hands that hang down. David said this in Psalm 27. He said this, Wait on the Lord. Be of good courage. He shall strengthen your heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. Now you might be someone out there and you say, well, I don't have a, a, a specific dream. God doesn't give me a dream. He doesn't give me a specific promise. Well, may not be specific promise, but this war, this book, 
contains so many promises that are made to you, and you need to be laying hold of them, believing. Like that man, he built it, it will come. These promises are going to come into your life. Deuteronomy 31.6 says God's going to bless you. The blessing will come. 2 Thessalonians 3 verse 3, God will protect you. His protection is assured. Believe it will come. When you're in trouble, it will come. 1 John 4.14, God will love you always. If you feel unloved, the feeling of love will come. Matthew 6, 31-33, God says He will provide for you. Your provision will come. John 14.27, He will save you in all things. John 15.7, He will answer you. Your answer will come. Isaiah 40, 31, as you wait upon the Lord, He will strengthen you. Your strength will come. Psalm 32, verse 8, He said, He will guide you. Guidance will come. Exodus 14, 14, God will fight for you. He's going to fight your enemies. It's coming. Jeremiah 29, God has a plan not to harm you, but to prosper you. Build it and it will come. Believe it, and it will come. Don't wait till it comes, and then respond. All these things are promises. Believe them, and God will make them come a reality in your life. Make them come. You know, until faith comes in, nothing changes. Nothing changes. And I, I have this testimony today. I was, first time I ever went to Pakistan, I just only knew one thing. Only one thing that God wanted me there. And everyone says, even I had a pastor come to me in Cole's car park and try to rebuke me and say, this is not God. <laughs> He's a good man. He's a really lovely man. But he came and says, you can't go. That's just, that's, this is, this is, he tried to say it was zeal. It wasn't God. It was God. Not so long ago, uh, in the pandemic, when there was nothing really happening, God said to me, I never stop working. God never stops working, even in the pandemic. And he said, I want you, I, I, the only thing God said to me is, I want you to stay productive. And I thought, what does that mean? You can't go anywhere, you can't do anything. And then I came up with this brainwave with Michael. We just said, we could do crusades over the internet. You know, so we, we did this crusade for 100 people over the internet. Anyway, uh, then we did bigger and bigger and bigger ones. And, you know, before thousands of people were coming and we were being productive, in people were getting saved. We were up here at 2 o'clock in the morning. Michael's holding the camera and I'm preaching to 10, 20,000 people in Pakistan. That's how it was. But then God said to me, he said, uh, I want you to invest in that country. And I said, okay. And Pastor Hamid said, I... I have a tent. I have a church that meets in a tent. And I said, okay, well, what do you need to put a roof on your tent? So we gave him money for a roof. And with that money, he built more than a roof. He built this incredible structure over there. And he used to get 100 people or so to his church on a Sunday. All God said to me was, Build it. Build it for him. Just build it for him. 
And I'm thinking, oh, well, you know, do we really want to spend our money over there? All I knew was that God was calling me to stretch out my faith and invest there and build it. That's how it is with God. When God gives you a dream, it never makes sense. That's how you know it's God. It always seems like, really? Should I buy land in Uganda? Why am I doing it? Build it. I built it for him. Not for us. Every Sunday now, 4,000 people come to hear the word of God in that church. 4,000 people in that location, other locations. It's chock-a-block full. Wherever his churches are, it's chock-a-block full. We built it. There was only 100, but God has made them come. I, 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 God so wants to encourage people today. He hasn't forgot you. Whatever you believe for, Whatever you do to obey him, he's going to make it come. He's going to make his blessing come into your life. He's going to make his protection come. He's going to make his provision come. He's going to make his answers come. He's going to make his guidance come. He's going to make his strengths come. Just stand and believe, and he will make it come. I want to pray for us today, and I want to pray for people who are between that place of promise and fulfillment, and, you know, like that story in the field of dreams, as he was building it, he thought he could even go bankrupt. But God didn't allow him to. And God won't allow you to. Because he's faithful. So I want to pray for people that are between promise and fulfillment. I also want to pray for people who are sitting in there and are saying, well, I, I don't have a dream. God said, when the Spirit of God is poured out, we will have dreams and visions. Y young men will see visions. Old men will dream dreams. That's how I know I'm old. I don't see vision. I dream dreams. <laughs> I dream a lot of them. So I'm an old man before God. But I want to pray for us. And I want to encourage. God's going to do it. God's not only going to do it, He's going to strengthen you in the season of waiting. He is working in your waiting. And at the exact right time, God is not a man that he could lie. And he doesn't fulfill his promises like men fulfill their promises. When God, the appointed time comes for God to fulfill his promises, he fills it in a way that blows your mind. He's going to bless your socks off. That's who he is. Do you believe it? He's not going to answer you like a man. Yes, you're waiting. Yes, you're hanging on by a thread. God's doing something great. Feels like he's doing nothing. He's doing wonderful things. Father God, I thank you that you are a God who honors faith. Without faith, it's impossible to believe you. And I pray for every person who is building by faith who is standing by faith, who is in between promise and fulfillment, who is under the pump even right now. Father God, I thank you 
you are doing something great in that person's life. I thank you that you are doing and working behind the scenes in their heart, in their home, in their family, that you're shifting things around. You're putting contracts in place. You're building things. You're preparing things that they can't see and at the exact right time. Father God, you will perform every, every dot, every tittle of what you promised. And you will perform it in a way that is so much greater than any human can expect. Father God, if that person's waiting on healing, you're not only going to heal them, you're going to bless their soul. That person's waiting on provision, you're not only going to fill the cup, you're going to make it run over. Father God, if that person's waiting on a ministry, you're going to give them not only a platform, you're going to give them a platform that blows their mind. Father God, you are the God of David from the cave to the kingdom. You are the God of Joseph from the pit to prime minister. You are the God almighty who opens doors that cannot be shut, who shuts doors that cannot be opened. We give you praise. You never forget us. You are always working while we are waiting. We bless you for what you're doing. We bless you for the waiting. And we bless you. We love you for what is coming. Because you are a faithful God who can be trusted. And when we build, you make it come. Bless you today. In the mighty name of Jesus. I just want you to stand up and praise God. You know, there's a difference between praise, kingdom praise, and gratitude. Gratitude is thanking God after He's done something for you. Kingdom praise is praising Him by faith for what you know He's promised is coming. Stretch out your hand. Praise Him, O barren woman. Praise Him, O barren woman. You're about to become fruitful. Barren woman's about to give birth. It's the promise of God. Hallelujah.